This morning, I'm going to speak on a subject for two reasons, and we'll interweave those two reasons. First of all, you are at a very wonderful and yet very dangerous time in your life. At this stage in your life, it's very difficult to have eternity in mind. Uh, understandable. At this stage, you're looking forward to a full life and a uh, wanting to see God use you, and uh, it's just hard to think um, of eternity. And uh, we live in a culture, too, that does not put us in that kind of a state. You go to other third world countries, and it's just common for folks at all ages to pass away for a lot of different reasons. But for us, that is not common. What we went through this summer was very uncommon to have to face uh, seeing someone young uh, pass away. That's just not part of our thinking. But not to think from an eternal perspective is, is a dangerous thing because so much of the Word of God is given to us with an eternal perspective and if we don't have that, we're going to miss a lot of what God has for us. Secondly, my purpose today is to try to get us to think accurately about what is going on today in regard to how we should view uh, the fact that the rapture could happen at any time. And uh, end times certainly seem to be screaming at us uh, with all of the different events that 100 years ago no one could have even begun to uh, imagine could happen with technology and everything else. Uh, the first time we had a all uh, encompassing one world pandemic, for instance. All of these things are, you know, startling. But how to process that? And you can go out of two windows that are very different. You say, well, how are you going to put both of those together? Well, I may not be real successful, but I'm going to try here. So you can turn to 1 John chapter 3. 1 John chapter 3. <clears throat> Some years ago, a vase... Uh, was sealed, uh, that was sealed was found in a mummy pit in Egypt uh, by an English traveler named Wilkerson, and he sent it to the British Museum. The librarian there, having unfortunately broken it, discovered in it a few grains of wheat and one or two peas, wrinkled and as hard as stone. The peas were planted carefully under glass on the 4th of June, 1844. And at the end of 30 days, those old seeds were seen to spring into new life. They had been buried probably about 3,000 years before, perhaps even to the time of Moses, and had slept all that long time apparently dead, yet still living in the dust of the tomb. There are a number of stories like that. For instance, uh, Lord Lindsay and some of his members of his company were in the pyramids and permitted to open one of the mummies and they saw in the hand uh, a, a big beautiful rose um, but uh, and, and looking at the hieroglyphics and everything they determined that the person had been a case there probably about 3,000 years before. As soon as the air touched the mummy the roses all crumbled to the finest dust save the seed of the rose. And uh, and so they gathered the, the, those seeds and brought them to England and planted in one of the gardens of Lord Lindsay. And it shot up a stalk to bear a beautiful flower. 
and they couldn't find any other flower that was even close to it that was currently in the world that had been found. And so they were wondering, what should we call it? So they named it after the Swedish uh, uh, botanical expert uh, um, doll, uh, Dahlia. You've seen uh, those flowers, and that came from 3,000 years ago. Well, the reason I bring that up is that for believers, the body of every believer is going to be resurrected. And so you have Abraham buried, his spirit was with God, and his body at the uh, rapture and at the end times will be glorified, resurrected and glorified. Uh, and uh, that's what we find very clearly, both in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and in, uh, even in Re Revelation chapter 20, the dead and small and great and so forth. So there will be a resurrection of the body. That's the great uh, subject of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It's not just that Jesus rose from the grave. We're all going to rise from the grave. And let me just say, young people, as a comfort to you, some of you have suffered great loss with uh, someone close to you that have, has died. Maybe you've not. But when that does happen and you view the body, I do want to remind you that very body will be resurrected. And even after thousands of years, that, the, the elements God will put together. Well, what about people thrown into the sea? The Bible says even from the sea. Uh, God has no trouble with that kind of thing. And so the person that you loved and, and hugged and meant so much to you, uh, that very body, along with obviously their eternal spirit, you'll get to see again. That's a great comfort. I thought about that with my mother and father and my sister and others that, uh, of course, all the dear folks that uh, we have laid to rest here. And, uh, and so it's a great blessing. And it's one, again, you don't think often about, and understandably so. Um, when, uh, I'll just bring this up, when we uh, had the tragedy occur, we did not have a public viewing for Ben, but we were able to talk the funeral home into letting us, if we would take the liability, uh, to allow uh, those closest to him and a number of you students that wanted to come to be able to see the body. Because I believe it's a very helpful matter because you realize it's, it's, uh, it's not all over. In fact, it's just beginning. And uh, it's always, uh, to me, it's a comfort. And it's obviously a great grief when it's someone that you're close to. But this is a reality. And so I want us to understand that we have something that is very certain, and this is something you need to keep in mind. Tomorrow, I will uh, be doing the graveside service and be at the uh, service for Lyle Catahenry. That's Dale Catahenry, Mrs. Carol Catahenry's brother-in-law, Dale's brother. And I had the privilege of leading him to the Lord numbers of years ago, and I got a chance to see him last week. I mentioned that. And uh, tomorrow... I will see that body that I got to talk with a week ago. And, um, and, and as Lyle and I were talking last week, I said, you're just beginning, Lyle. I mean, the smile that just came on his face, because he's had a rough life. And unfortunately, he went up north, and things did not go well for him. 
but uh, he's truly at peace with God. But just talking about the fact of eternal existence, it's no more theory. It's no more nice platitudes. You stare, you look at a person clearly jaundiced with uh, cirrhosis of the liver in agony, and uh, when you talk about those things, that's real. That is just, that's something that is very, uh, very deep and very real. I have you turn to First uh, John, but I'm going to re- read first from Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he did predestinate, them he also called, and whom he called, them he also justified, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Let me just tell you, friends, when you accepted Christ as your Savior, it is predestined that you will be glorified. Nothing can alter the will of God. The uh, tremendous work of Jesus Christ on the cross is complete, and you will be glorified. But the thing that I want us to understand is that this glorification is to be like Christ, who is the most glorious person in all of the universe. And that it is God's will for us to be conformed into that image then, but starting now. Very important uh, for us to understand that. Now, let me just say a couple of things from Bible teaching standpoint. Our final end in Christ, it's certain. Uh, Revelation 13, 8, And all that dwell upon the earth shall worship him whose names are not written in the book of life of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. Um, it is certain that the destruction of those that uh, have not accepted Christ, but if your name is written in the book of life, it's certain. It's absolutely Certain, And it will be glorious. Um, uh, It's just a wonderful thing to think of being like the Lord. Right now, if we could see Jesus on the throne, and we, by the way, we couldn't because of our sinful nature, but we'll actually see him. He's in a full glorified body, and it, it just would absolutely take literally your breath away to see him in the splendor that is clearly laid out in Revelation chapter 1. But if you saw him, you'd realize, wait a second, I'm going to be like him? Now, we're going to be like him as far as our spirit and our person, but we're going to shine forth his glory. And we're going to be identified with him. The angelic world will marvel that the fallen human race is glorified like Jesus. Now, the reason I'm taking some time to talk about this, you do need to get this in your mind. Right now, you're thinking about the next test. You know, I know how it goes, and or uh, being ready for the next lesson and all of that. But young people who get eternity in mind are the young people that God can use. It's got to be in, fixed in your thinking. That's why men and women have been willing to go to the ends of the earth and be willing to put themselves in very dangerous positions because they really believe that death is not all that bad. It's an enemy. Nothing we ever want to seek. We have no right to seek it. We should determine by God's grace to take care of our bodies and live a full life. But if God takes us uh, in the line of, of duty, 
well, glorification is next. I mean, it just uh, being with the Lord. And so it really does make a difference. That's why you find even folks your age that literally have put themselves in harm's way for the sake of the gospel because they believe it. And they're not thinking selfishly and looking at this life. Listen, I feel so sorry for uh, Christian young people who all that they have is life right now. You see, that just, you just lose the whole perspective of what even you're doing right now. This is all for the sake of eternal souls. And it will be glorious. Uh, little Jonathan had been promised a new puppy for his 10th birthday. So they took him to a place that sold puppies and there was a dozen of them. And, uh, of course, he was having a terrible time uh, looking at all those cute little puppies. And finally, he decided on a nondescript shaggy pup who was wagging his tail furiously. Why that one? Well, he explained, I want the one with the happy ending. <laughs> and, of course, we all fall for those puppies with the, uh, that just can't hardly hold them. They're so excited, you know, and that tail is wagging. But... Uh, Folks, we got a happy ending and beginning. Now, again, you know, it's not, not like when I talked to Lyle last week or when I talked to older folks. Oh, to them, that's such a sweet thing to hear. To you, I don't talk about death. You know, we got a life to live. Let's don't uh, uh, have that in our minds. Don't be afraid of that. That's a great comfort right now. It's a great blessing. Listen, as things may become a lot more precarious, you better get this down. You better get it down that you're going to live in heaven forever, that you've got a wonderful life ahead, and that right now what matters is serving the Lord, and even if things become far more dangerous, we need to understand that. Just uh, this last week, a top executive in uh, Melbourne, Australia, he became the executive of a, uh, one of the major sports teams there, Australian football. And uh, he only lasted in that top position. He had been the president of a whole banking system in Australia and everything. But he lost his job in one day because he was a member of an evangelical church in Melbourne and was the chairman of the elders. And only on that he lost his job. They demanded that he be uh, let go. What happens in Australia, what happens in England, what happens in California, eventually happens across America. And uh, so, you know, if we're living for the right here and now, uh, you're going to be faced with choices uh, that really can affect your future. Now, this whole glorification, uh, the Lord wants us to be understanding that uh, we're going to be conformed to the image of Christ. And so that should be right now what's going on. 1 Corinthians fifteen forty nine. And as we have borne the image of the earthly, we shall also bear the image of the heavenly. Now let's go to the first John uh, chapter three. Let's begin with verse one here. Behold, what manner of love the father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Let me stop there. Never get tired of that. You're a child of God. You're forever a child of God. You're important to God, just like you're important to your parents and your children will be to you. There is that deep of a bond and infinitely greater of a bond. 
So he's rejoicing him. We're called the sons of God. Therefore, the world, world doesn't know us, knoweth us not, because it knew him not. Now, here's what we want to look at, verses 2 and 3. Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. What a wonderful, wonderful couple of verses. All right. We will be like Christ. We've already been saying that. And here again, you have that. We will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We'll be identified with him. C.H. Spurgeon received uh, one day a, a copy of uh, Andrew Bonar's commentary on Leviticus. It so blessed him that he returned it, saying, Dr. Bonar, please place herein your autograph and your photograph. The book was returned to him with the following note. Dear Spurgeon, here is the book with my autograph and with my photograph. If you had been willing to wait a short season, you could have had a better likeness. <laughs> For I shall be like him, I shall see him as he is. Now folks, maybe you have some good pictures. How did your pictures turn out last week? Was it, uh, we'll find out I guess. Those are forever there, you know, but anyway. Um, don't you freshmen wish you had a uh, smile or something a little differently when you first came into the, uh, uh, that forever got imprinted on your, uh, uh, anyway, uh, we'll go on. Um, I look at some of those and I say, oh, that's interesting. I don't know if I recognize that person there. So most of you look much better than your picture. I want you to know that. But, uh, but. In just a few years, folks, man, we're going to have some pretty good pictures. Okay, this crowd will look so much better. <laughs> you know, of course, you look pretty good. You're young. Now, sometimes when I get with, uh, with the older group, I said, folks, you're really going to look better uh, when uh, uh, we get uh, those pictures later on. But, you know, we honestly can, can enjoy just talking about it because it's true. It's true. If you always wished you looked a little bit different, well, it's going to happen. Except I think you're still going to be who you are, you know, but you'll be improved on. Okay, that's, that's the way. Now, some need more improvement than others, I guess. <laughs> but uh, I don't know how it works, but we'll know each other. So that'll be interesting. So will I keep my Dutch nose? I don't know how that all works, you know. I sort of would like to. I mean, it's, I had to live with it. It, uh, it works. <clears throat> but... Uh, <laughs> Will you, if you have huge ears, will you keep your huge ears? I don't know. Yeah, it'll be interesting. Dr. Paul, have you got this figured out? No, I don't think so. All righty. Um, but anyway, um, but I'm talking about it like this, young people. It's got to become real to you. You'll understand in a few years, especially as I say things may get a little dicey. You've got to get this in your heart. Martha Snell Nicholson wrote, What can it mean to be like him? I to be like my dear Lord. I could not believe it had I not the promise of his precious word. I with follies and failures, I with my weakness and sin, to be like the Lord in his beauty, perfect without and within. 
He whom the angels adoring veil from his glory their eyes. He who one glad day will take me to dwell in his home in the skies. Oh, I am weary with waiting, sick of this old self of mine. Come quickly, Lord Jesus, come quickly and give me a spirit like thine. Can you imagine to not have one temptation to sin? Not to have one covetous thought, jealous thought, envious thought, nothing but the love of God in your heart. Boy, that's exciting, isn't it? No more battle. Uh, and uh, it's just going to be a, a glorious thing. But he wants that to be the case now. Uh, I'm telling you, if, if we would let God work in our lives, very much of what we will be like when we are there can be seen now. I have seen saints of the Lord, that the glory of God just shines through them and the, and the victory that they have. And so we want to present every man perfect in Christ Jesus, Colossians chapter 1 talks about. Now, just for a moment, let's talk about the fact that we will be free from the curse. No more sorrow. God shall wipe away all tears. And uh, as a pastor, that means a lot to me. And the reason for that is the tabernacle of God is with men, uh, Revelation 23, uh, 21, 3. And he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. There's going to be no more tears, no more death, sorrow, no, cry no crying. Did you get that, girls? No more crying. <laughs> no, but... You guys cry just as much. You just don't show it. Um, Neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. No more human weakness. Uh, no more feeling that sense of inadequacy, because you'll have the fullness of the Lord. You say, what will heaven be like? Well, Wilbur Smith, uh, that warm-hearted uh, commentator, suggests uh, five different ways to look at our time in heaven, we will obviously be worshiping the Lord. That's the first thing we will do. You know, people will talk sort of, yeah, you know, lightly about the fact, yes, my, I'm sure my uh, loved one is talking with all these different people and doing all these different things. And my thought always is, no, they're still, they're still not over the Savior. Uh, I'm telling you, you'll understand that. When you are at moments of revival, when the Spirit of God breaks through, and you spend time in lengthy prayer because you are reveling in the glory of God, then those passages in Revelation will, will make a lot of sense. I have been through several of those wonderful times where, honestly, four and five hours of corporate prayer seemed like 20 minutes. I couldn't believe it that that much time had gone. Because when you're in the presence of God, time ceases to exist. And see, we just lose. We don't spend personal time. We don't spend corporate time with the Lord like we should. And so, therefore, heaven and eternity just seems so foreign to what we are. And that's the American problem. That's the Western world problem. You go to other places where they spend, it's not unusual at all to spend seven days fasting and praying together. You think, how can they do that? It's got to be agony. Well, it's not easy, but I'm telling you, they're worshiping God and they're enjoying the glory of God. We don't know much about that. 
And let me just tell you, gentlemen, if we're going to have ministries coming out of this college that are going to change the world, they have got to be ministries that understand what it means to really be in the presence of God and worship Him. That is something we've got to grow in. This is a battle today, and I really encourage you. But worship will be wonderful. Uh, we'll, we'll serve the Lord. His servants shall serve Him. You have that in Revelation 22. <coughs> work. Uh, uh, no, it'll be good work. You'll enjoy it. It isn't going to be sitting around, folks. Um, all you have to do is sit around for a day or two, and you realize that is not heaven. I mean, forget that. Uh, man, let's do something. And uh, it's going to be uh, just, it's going to be beyond what I can explain. Uh, we'll have different positions of authority, especially in the kingdom. Uh, I don't understand how that's all going to work. But it's not going to be quite like we think, just this nebulous thing. There's going to be, a, as real as earth is, it's going to be more real. The kingdom and heaven. It's going to be as tangible. It's going to be as real. You've got to get that in mind. This is the beginning of an eternal existence. And if you can get that in mind, instead of heaven being clouds and we're playing harps and all that stuff, um, if you can get that out, you will not have wings. Okay, get that out. That is theologically imprecise. Okay, you would look dumb with wings anyway. So, uh, no, and the angels don't have the wings either. So, uh, the, now the seraphim and cherubim do have the, have the wings. But as far as angels as they present themselves here on earth did not have, have that. And, um, and so we've got to realize there's going to be real opportunities. And and I don't know, and I, I'm very careful on this, but how you serve the Lord now makes a huge amount of difference on what happens then. Sobering. Paul was sobered by it. Paul was very sobered by the judgment seat of Christ. Now, we're all saved by grace. We earn nothing. But how much of Christ is seen in us, and how much has he trust, have, have we allowed him to work in us? Uh, there is a difference. Uh, we'll have fellowship. Yeah, you find that in Hebrews and Revelation 19. A wonderful fellowship we'll have in glory. Uh, I think we'll continue to learn and grow in understanding. The Savior will teach us, and we will have the rest from the unrest that we have had here in this life. All right. Um, keeping that in mind... Um, I want to talk about, let's go back to chapter 3 here. A couple of things. We shall be like him, and then verse 3, and every man that has this hope in him does what? Purifieth himself. To think that you will be like Christ and to live an impure life here is very contradictory. If you get it in your mind that God is going to give you full sanctification and you will be free from the temptation of sin, you will be as you will have the holiness of God. You will be able to get this is really amazing. You will stand in the presence of a holy God and no person has ever seen God and lived. But you'll be able to see God and live because you will have the righteousness, the holiness of God. And so we should purify ourselves. We should set ourselves apart from all filthiness in this life. Listen, 
when you get a hold of what it means to worship God, you get a hold of what eternity is about, you get a hold of the greatness of salvation and the wonderful freedom and victory over sin that you're going to have, it only follows that that's real to you that you have the deep desire for that right now. And that's why it is so uh, contradictory when Christian young people are so worldly overcome by Satan's world and living impure lives. It is just, you know, I'm sure the angelic world just shakes their head. How can they, knowing what their future is, according to the Word of God? And remember, 1 John was written near the end of the first century. And he's uh, writing very strongly under Holy Spirit inspiration him uh, here. And every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. And so, we've got to understand, as I've already mentioned, there are consequences for how we live. Eternity is real. There's the crown of life, James 1.12. Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, testings. For when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. All right, you're afraid to go, go soul winning? You're not willing to take a stand? You compromise as a pastor. You're not willing to take potential persecution that may come down from a secular government. Well, there'll be no crown of life. Crown of life is for those that endure temptation when they are tried. But if you're thinking eternity, I don't worry about what people think. Then that's what you've got to have as your perspective. You're going to stand before Jesus who suffered all the contradiction of sinners and hung on that cross. What a shameful thing in, in uh, the eyes of all the people, the Son of God hanging there, the crown of life. Now, I want to camp on this one. In many ways, this is where the second theme comes in, the crown of rejoicing. Let me read that, 1 Thessalonians 2.19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For ye are our glory and joy. One of the greatest moments in all of eternal history will be at the judgment seat of Christ when a Christian stands there and his crown is all the people standing there because God was able to use his life. Some Christians are going to stand at the judgment seat of Christ alone. Praise the Lord, they're saved. It'll be glorious. But other Christians are going to stand there with thousands. And uh, it just, uh, it's an overwhelming thought. Now, let me put a perspective here for you. How many of you have been hearing some of these predictions that the rapture has to be right away? Have any of you heard any of those things? Be really wary of that. The Apostle Paul thought the rapture was going to happen before he died. And uh, yes, we're 2,000 years away, and I realize that the Abrahamic covenant was 2,000 years before Christ. We're 2,000 years after Christ. Uh, we have the state of Israel. Uh, we have uh, all of the technology for the mark of the beast. Uh, we have now the lineup uh, of... Uh, of the three nations that had to come together for Gog and Magog to occur. 
Russia, Turkey, and Iran, Persia. Uh, that has now come together, and now the friends of Israel are the Gulf states, and all of that is found in, in uh, Ezekiel 38 and 39. Yeah, wow, that's, that's interesting. And you can look at the Western world and how much emphasis is being put on NATO, how much emphasis is on the EU. Yeah, that's interesting. You have the mighty uh, dragon of the East, which we certainly see uh, there at the end of Revelation, uh, flexing his muscles, China, and the total animosity toward the Western world and Israel. Uh, you, of course, see Russia that fits into Gog and Magog. I mean, it's amazing. It really is amazing. But Jesus could come 500 years from now. You see, you've got to be careful about, about dates. Now, here I'm going to give you a little bit of a perspective. I want you to stay with me. Right now, I mean, I'm just getting bombarded with all this stuff. Two weeks ago, five red heifers came to Israel on a private jet. Not often cows get a private jet, you know. <laughs> Pretty amazing. And I think it was, they were from Texas, I think. Of course, everything's from Texas. But anyway, um, they were flown there. And of course, you have to have a red heifer if you're going to have the temple worship reinstated. And uh, the Temple Institute in Jerusalem is totally ready for a new temple. And uh, you have uh, um, a number of other uh, very interesting things that have occurred. But there's no way a new temple is going to be put on the uh, Temple Mount until the Antichrist makes it happen. It isn't going to happen. So that's after the rapture. But here's something I want you to see. This is why I'm putting it in the crown of rejoicing. The red heifer, and of course the sacrificial system points to whom? Jesus Christ. The sacrificial system, when it's reinstated in the uh, tribulation temple, is that going to be true worship? No. It's going to be the Jews thinking they're okay because now they have their temple back. And they have their worship back. Who's going to give them that temple? The Antichrist. And what is the Antichrist going to do at the very uh, middle of the tribulation? He's going to be worshipped as God, as 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says. Now, we've got to be careful. We obviously should thrill at the thought of the rapture and things happening like the Bible says. But do you understand that the coming of that temple and the worship being instituted is going to bring in the greatest holocaust that has ever happened to the Jewish people? And Jews by the millions are going to be thrust into hell. Now thankfully through that, there will be many that will turn to Christ and finally worship their Messiah and the kingdom will begin. But it is going to be a false system of worship. Now, it's very understandable for us to be excited about things happening. But you know, when you hear about red heifers, Temple Institute, things happening on the Temple Mound, the fact that the tribulation could come and you listen to all that, we get excited about the rapture, we're missing one point. It hasn't happened yet because, as Second Peter 3 says, God is long-suffering because he's not willing that any should perish. 
And I'm telling you, as you see uh, prophecy potential coming, that ought not just get us excited. Yay, we're going to have the rapture. And that's a glorious thing. I don't mean to demean that whatsoever. But my friends, your neighbors, your extended family that's lost, the people of this community, the people of your community are going to go into the tribulation. And the Jewish people are going to go through great delusion and great deception according to the scripture. And it's going to be a horrible time like you've never seen in the world, but you won't be here. But just to be happy, well, we won't be here. Folks, people potentially that you love will be in the midst, midst of all of that. And so, as you hear all these things, folks, the key is the crown of rejoicing. The Apostle Paul thought he was going to be raptured. John probably thought he was going to be raptured. And so, what did they spend their life doing? Telling people about Jesus. Paul was so burdened, he was like Moses. Lord, would you please save my countrymen? Take me. So they can be saved. And so we've got to have right perspectives here. There's, like I said, there's two dangerous things. Not thinking about eternity. And secondly, look, viewing all that's happening from a little bit of, though it can be accurate understanding of prophecy, our motives can be skewed. And uh, we need to look forward. We say at every Lord's Supper, even so come Lord Jesus. And for you all right now, you will probably have a little hard time with that because you'd like to be married first, right? I know what you think. Uh, or you'd like to accomplish this or do this or whatever. I know how that goes. Wrong motive, okay? You should be excited about the rapture except for what reason? Souls need to be saved. It ought to be a tremendous motivation. Listen, when you hear about these things happening, it ought to get us to be totally abandoned to the gospel instead of all sensationalizing about prophecy. You follow me on that? This is really important. You've got to think eternity. People's lives matter. That uncle of yours that's lost, if he doesn't get saved, he is going to spend eternity in hell. That's a big deal. We are really not that broken about the lost. And so uh, this should change our lives. And I'm telling you, one soul makes all the difference. You know the story about Edward Kimball. And uh, he wanted to win his Sunday school boys to the Lord. And by the way, this will encourage all of you elementary leaders. The... Um, he was, uh, Dwight L. Moody was the worst of his students, <laughs> never listened, was out to lunch, you know how it goes. And uh, so he, did, he knew the only way he was going to reach him was to go visit him, and he was working uh, there in a shoe store, you know that story probably. And when he went to witness to him, he felt like he totally failed, but Moody got saved. And of course, Moody himself, it's probably a million plus people, he directly affected in coming into the kingdom. But uh, when Moody was in England, there was a man by the name of F.B. Meyer who came and heard the preaching. And he was so transformed by Moody's message that his life was transformed. He came to America and across the British Isles and uh, uh, tens of thousands were affected by him. 
Well, when Meyer was in America at Northfield Conference, he challenged the crowd saying to give everything to Christ, and it uh, changed the life of a struggling young pastor named J. Wilbur Chapman. Chapman proceeded to become a powerful traveling evangelist who again saw hundreds of thousands saved. And one of his uh, ones that uh, he saw get uh, get on fire under his ministry was a man named Billy Sunday. And Billy Sunday saw many, many come to know the Lord. And under Billy Sunday's ministry, Mordecai Ham. You know, probably don't know that name, but one of the greatest evangelists of the South in particular. All right, go back to that Sunday school teacher. How many people have come to Christ? I mean, you're just dealing with millions now by this time. Because that Sunday school teacher was burdened for souls. And uh, do you think there'll be a crown uh, for him on that, absolutely. That's going to be, I think he's going to probably be a little surprised when he stands at the judgment seat and whoa, what a tremendous, tremendous uh, work God has been able to do. You have the crown of righteousness. You have the, the crown, those that love is appearing. We're just talking about that. And then the crown of glory for shepherds who take care of their sheep. So as we finish here, I just, I just felt burdened today. This is a little different type of message, but we've got to think eternally. And we don't need to get off track with all that's happening and think improperly about eternity. Eternity ought to cause us to be willing to stand for Christ, be persecuted for Christ, and it ought to cause us to be very, very um, stirred that... We don't know how much time that we have to win people to Christ. Now, in my personal sense, which <clears throat> Paul felt the same way, but with what I see, I may be looking at the generation that's in the rapture. I really think that's probably going to happen. May not. What, do you, what would you do if you knew the rapture was uh, October the 10th, 2032. How would you live between now and then? Ten years. Would it change your, change your thinking? Would it change your plans? We don't know. It could be today. It could be this hour. It really could be. So that's why eternity needs to mean much to you. Aren't you glad you're saved? You're a child of God. You're going to have a new body. Uh, you've got a glorious future. Don't get hung up on this world. Don't get hung up on all the glitzy stuff. Don't try to make a name for yourself. We need to get, get serious about the fact God's given us a great life and eternal life. Let's get it squared around our thinking and not get distracted with some of this spectacular stuff that's out there. Whatever we hear ought to stir us. I need to win more people to Christ. And let's not lose that this year. But I just wanted to share that with you. Ask God to give you an eternal perspective. Let's bow for prayer.